Welcome to Being Second Best, a podcast dedicated to second chair leaders within the church. This podcast is built to serve and edify and encourage folks serving in every ministry capacity outside of lead pastor, from the janitor to the student pastor to the associate pastor to the volunteer greeter. We hope this is encouraging for you. Thanks for joining us. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Being Second Best. I'm Justin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. David Leducer. Uh, and so this week, we, uh, we've been talking and trying to figure out something uh, for our topic, and I was reminded of, uh, here at our church, it's the one-year anniversary of uh, a guy on our worship team passing away. And uh, it's just a crazy story where we found out that Sunday morning that he had passed away, and trying to navigate through that with the church body, you know, an hour after we find out all these things. And so it made me think maybe we should take a moment in time and talk about dealing with hardship or dealing with uh, emotionally straining issues or conflicts or difficulties um, within the church. Everything from death and sad things to scandals or issues that arise within the church. And so I just want to take a little bit of time and talk about that. And so David and I have kind of walked through some of this together uh, in our life, uh, going all the way back to 2007, um, with an accident that we uh, were friends with some folks that passed away in, uh, and then you know David and I have been friends since then for a long time, and so we've wrestled through some of these issues, both together corporately and then in our own church bodies. So, um, man, what what are some things that you've you've wrestled through or you've seen kind of in your time living in the church? that have kind of made you take a step back and wonder how do we process this? Well, yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was a freshman in college, one of my good friends drowned and we were all a part of, uh, uh, campus crusade. And I remember that ministry having to figure out how to navigate his death. Um, and us, his friends, how to, how do we continue to serve the Lord when the leader of our group essentially, has been taken, you know, is, is, is gone. Uh, and that was more for me, a, a personal experience. That's when I really committed in my heart that I was going to follow the Lord. Uh, I kind of was faced with this. Do I believe the Bible and that God works all things together for good? Or am I mad at God for taking my friend? And I decided I want to believe that, that God loves me and works everything together for my good. And so I committed to just reading the Bible and trusting the Lord. Uh, and that really was when I began truly following Christ. Before, it was just a passive decision. And that was when I kind of woke up. I became spiritually woke, if you will. <laughs> uh, and then, like you said, uh, you know, in 2007. So that was in 2004. In 2007, uh, we were working at the camp together. And there was an accident. Uh, a group of us had went to a Braves game in Atlanta. And on the way back, one of the cars uh, got in an accident. And uh, two people were uh, hospitalized and four people died. Um, and I remember we got the call in the middle of the night. I was staying at a friend's house in Atlanta. And we, uh, we got these calls. We all went to different hospitals. Actually, all four of the um, the ones who died were taken to different hospitals. We weren't initially 
told anything other than that there was a bad accident. And then slowly throughout the night, we got more and more bad news. And I remember, and I don't know how you were, um, but I remember I, uh, I was the strong one. I was like, the, I'm giving hugs. I'm being strong. I'm talking to the doctors. Uh, and it wasn't until I got home like two days later. And I remember I walked into my house and my stepmom was in the living room. And I said, hey, where's dad? And she said, oh, he's in the back working on a boat. And I walked through the house. And I remember as soon as I got out the back door and saw my dad, I literally collapsed and started crying. Because that was the first time that I felt, oh, it's safe now. I can let him be strong and I'll just yeah. weep. And it hit me so hard. And, I, you know, so it was, it was a good 48 hours after uh, the initial uh, event that I really processed it. And I think that that was good because there was people who were really struggling to process it in the moment that I was able to help because I was still... I don't know. I guess I was in my first responder mind, you know, deal with the the current issues. And then, um, so anyway, uh, and that was, we got to see that ministry. It was just a camp ministry, um, figure out how to navigate that. And that was actually a really cool summer. I don't know if you want to yeah, share your no, side I, of that. So I, I'm from the area in which the accident happened. And so we had folks staying at my house, like some of the staff were staying at my parents' house. And so when it all when it all happened, my dad said, "Hey, I'll, I'll drive." And so we all piled into my parents' like expedition uh, and drove down to the hospital. Um, and my my dad was a police officer for a number of years, and so I mean he's been through those conversations with doctors when when someone passes away in an accident. And um, and so he talked with the folks at the one hospital, uh, and he. And another summer staff guy, Brian Kaufman's dad, were both there. And the two of them came in and who kind of broke the news that the the guy that was at the hospital we were at had passed away. Um, and so, like, as we wrestled through that, uh, I was just kind of shell-shocked at first. And I don't think I fully processed it until we got back to camp on Sunday night. And we had a short little just time of worship together. And, uh, like, as we, as we went through that, I just remember kind of, like, all of a sudden being hit with the reality, like, not tomorrow at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 400 kids are going to show up on this property expecting a week of summer camp to function like a week of summer camp does. And, uh, and I wasn't prepared for that. Like, I, I didn't know how, like, didn't know how to process through that, um, but I think I, it helped being involved in ministry and being thrust back into, like, that role of serving a ministry. Like, I, I felt like, uh, you know, like I, I was able to focus on something. And once I was able to focus on something, my mind could grasp it and that I could process, like, yeah, those folks are gone but the purpose and the calling and the gifts of God are irrevocable, and he's called us to this this summer. And honestly, like, I mean, I worked five more summers after that. But that one summer, to me, stands out among all the other ones. Like, it, it was different than every other summer I've ever worked. Yeah, it was a very unifying summer. And, you know, I, actually, while you were talking, I was— I. 
I hadn't planned on talking about this, but I remembered that next summer in 2008, me and Sean Clark pulled a dead body out of the river yeah. during the summer camp. We had a group of camp, we had a missions group uh, that we were taking down the river and uh, there was a guy shouting for help on the side of the river and I got my boat to paddle over there. As we're getting closer, he's saying, help, there's a dead body. And I'm like, stop, I got kids, just, I'll get there. <laughs> and I, I got there and sure enough, this it was an elderly man that was uh, probably in his 70s who was kayaking by himself and had a heart attack. Um, and uh, and he'd, he'd been dead for a little bit. Like when I saw him, I knew this isn't a, revive this guy it's a well let's treat this body with respect and i i remember uh, we carried him up to the road and then one of our other staff members was an emt you remember tom mm-hmm. tom mccrary and he stayed with the body until somebody could come get it and i had to get back in the boat full of kids and that a rafting trip that want to have fun and splash people and throw them in the water and it was a very bizarre feeling for me because it was well, I got to guide the rest of this river trip. It was really interesting. Uh, and it is death somehow cuts right through everything in your life and puts things in perspective for a moment. And it was, well, playing with these kids is important. Uh, I don't feel like playing right now. Yeah. It was really I mean, that's, strange. That's for us. Like the, the whole story that started this thought process in my brain uh, goes back to like this Sunday a year ago where, you know, we, we go to sound check and our guy doesn't show up to sound check and it was not normal. And somebody goes up there to his room and finds him in his bed. And then we have to lead worship for two services. And so I ended up just saying, man, whoever needs to not play this morning, you know, step down, sit, do whatever you have to do. Uh, and we flip script and like, I mean, an hour after all of this process, I have to lead worship for an entire church service, you know, 70, 80 people for two services with this weighing heavy on me. Um, And I like, you know, I just, I got through it. And I remember coming home that afternoon after church was over and finally taking like a deep breath and just sitting out on the couch and my kids being outside in the backyard playing and looking at my wife and her saying, like, man, you did so well keeping it all together. And then I just, like, I just lost it. Like, I just sat there on the couch and cried, like, not knowing how to process all of that. Um, but knowing that in the moment, we have to do something that's above and beyond ourselves. I think that was the thing that helped with with the camp issue with, with, the, with the accident was, like, we knew there was a calling that could not be stopped on our lives and that we had to do what was necessary for those we were ministering to. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on right now about, you know, self-care, and I think that is important. I think there, there are areas where pastors and, and folks in ministry burn themselves out, but there also is a, there's a self-sacrificial component to serving in ministry in any capacity, and that is, yeah, I, I do need to care for myself, but that care for myself needs to happen Monday through Saturday on on my time but in that moment on Sunday morning when when I'm standing in front of a congregation or on Wednesday night when I'm standing in front of our student ministry that's the moment where I have to lay my self-care down and minister to those in front of us and we and like we've had to wrestle through this uh you know with 
kids at the local high school committing suicide or a kid last year from a, a the high school in the county next to us uh, drowning and dying like wrestling through and having that conversation or just a few weeks ago there was two students who were killed in a, an accident here in our county and talking to our students through that and realizing like we have to show them how to process this in light of eternity like how to process and wrestle through these things in light of eternity that becomes a whole different uh, process when the person's not a believer or we're not sure if the person's a believer you know when it's someone who we're confident in their salvation it's a different it's a different weight lifted off your chest um, in that season but when it's not that's difficult and we're putting those situations all the time well I think uh, you know you were talking about we have to press on and, and take care of people and we it's kind of self-sacrificial and I do I, I hear a lot of I've been hearing a lot about burnout and trying to protect pastors and ministers and there but there is a point where we are held to a higher standard and where there is more expected of us and uh, I think I think back to when my friend drowned I remember I mean I can remember the day it happened I can remember almost everything about that day and I remember when he so he was uh he got trapped in a hydraulic and we honestly for like 30 minutes weren't sure if he was going to come back out somewhere or if he was gone we didn't know and i remember during that time all i really wanted was to curl up in my dad's lap like i was a little kid yeah. like all i could think about was my dad and wanting to be with my dad um and then at the accident like i said it wasn't until i was with my dad that it was all of a sudden safe and you know and uh, my dad passed away uh two and a half years ago. And uh, I think it's important that we have that safe moment that we, that in the moment we're able to facilitate people and set our feelings and emotions aside for the time being. Mm -hmm. But we do need to have that safe space. And it was interesting for me that once my dad was gone, that had to be the Lord. And that's one of the first time that I was forced to, it's not, you know, and I'm not married, so it's not my spouse. Mm -hmm. It's not my best friend. It's not my dad is not it's it's the father and i think that's what's very important in order for a pastor to not burn out while being self-sacrificial and being available for his congregation in these times uh he has to weep with the lord and the and the only place where there's strength enough for me to be weak is in the presence of the lord yeah i think that's you know paul says it in romans 12 that we we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. But then he also tells us, I believe in Philippians, where he talks about that we need to renew our mind daily to the Lord. And, you know, like in a culture and in a time where we're, we're told that the way you process these things, you process these feelings, is with proper counseling and or medication sometimes— uh, and I'm not saying those things don't have a place. They certainly do. But there, there are times and moments and things where we have to realize that uh, utmost and above all those things is the Lord is who our counsel is. The Lord is who, you know, applies this balm to our life. The Lord is who we renew our minds to. So, Well, I think we get, um, we get trapped in sometimes our response— is to personally shove it down so that everyone else has the space to respond. 
And I think there, as a pastor, that's a poor response. Yeah. That I do think we need to have strength in times of crisis. But I think that strength needs to come from the fact that we know that tonight I'm going to get to stop and be with my Lord who has strength, you know. Well, so that was my second question. So the the first one was, how do we handle and how do we lead to this? How do we process these things? The second question is, what are some really poor ways that we as Christians and as the church that we respond to these kind of situations? Well, and I think, you know, we've kind of really just dealt with uh, death, it seems like, more than than church uh, issues. But uh, I think one of the most, uh, I think the scriptures talks about it the most as a poor response. And I think it's the one I've experienced the most uh, is gossip. Mm-hmm. Just rather than dealing with an issue, rather than taking it to the Lord, we take it to our brother and recruit them to also feel emotions that they don't necessarily need to feel. Yeah, I think gossip happens probably more more often than uh, than prayer. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely happens more often than prayer, and the. And sometimes we, we wrap it and we guise it in a way that's like, oh, I'm telling you these things so that you can pray. And we try to holyify it. Like we, we, we slap some Jesus on our definitive sin to try to make it feel less like we're sinning. Or we'll call it venting as <laughs> if it's not inviting someone to feel negative emotions about someone else. Yeah. Well, and, and so we, we uh, like we've talked about death in this, but... It, hardships within the church aren't just uh, dealt with death. Like, you and I have experienced this in times where, um, you know, something as small as a pastor leaves on good terms to go to a different church. Or in a way, we're like, uh, you know, I've been a part of this in a church where a pastor is removed for a moral failing. And the gossip that connects to that uh, and the the kind of, like, segregating members of the church into different political factions, you know, where, where people are on the side of the guy and off the side of the guy, like, and you end up with this divide down the middle of your church, and that's how church splits happen. I mean, I've seen this as in serious issues as, like, moral failings of pastors, but I've also seen it, like, in as dumb issues as, like, the color of church carpet, where people divvy up sides and that doesn't seem like a hardship, but when the church divides itself, you've got a hardship on your hands. It yeah. starts something small, and then you've got a big issue. The, the, the body aches because of this pity, petty little thing. Yeah, it's like the idea of, uh, you know, death Death is losing a member to the body. Uh, you know, people arguing and fighting and gossiping is like stepping on a splinter and never pulling it out, so you end up with an infection. And so the body hurts and is in pain. Is it mortally wounding to the body not necessarily but well, it could be it could be, it could be if yeah. the infection festers enough you know like that's the best analogy i can think of for that scenario um what are some other ways that, that we see like poor response to hardship um i think and this is going to be kind of harsh but i think a lot of people use the death of another person as an excuse to take a break uh I, you know i talked about that at my dad's funeral when I, I, I kind of preached my dad's funeral, and I mentioned uh, my dad would be upset if any of you used his death as an excuse to not be a good person this week. Yeah. You know, like, go mourn, go scream in a pillow, go write a song, go drive for 200 miles, whatever you need to do. Go ahead and mourn, process, 
but there's work to do. And my dad would be ashamed if any of us used his death as an excuse to not fight for the kingdom. Oh, yeah. It's not just death either, though. You know, like we see this within church conflict or or hardship where, you know, a pastor leaves even on good terms and goes somewhere else. And the church just kind of stagnates for a season like, oh, I mean, and I remember having this conversation like when we had the issue where we removed our pastor and he left. uh, I remember people saying, we're waiting to see if we want to stay with the church depending upon who you hire. Well, that's that's sin on their part to say, nah, sorry, I'm going to not I'm going to not fully be part of the church body for a little while because I want to make sure that. Uh, my needs and wants are met properly. <laughs> well, but that mindset makes sense when your churches are built around a person's personality instead of around Christ. That's the logical way to think. Oh, well, now we're going to build our church around this guy's personality. I don't know if I like him or not yet. And that that's that makes sense to me that people think that because I think people have a very distorted view of what church is and how we build it. Yeah. And that, that helps segue to, to kind of the third and final question or thought I want to wrestle through. And how do we prepare people for that? How do we prepare people to deal with hardship better? Uh-huh. It's a, it's a weird, it's a tough question. I, well, I think the, the first step is uh, dealing with your own hardships. Yeah. I, I, you know, not pushing them aside, not waiting until they become a, a big enough problem that you have to deal with them. Um, you know, I'm, and I, I'm going to talk about my dad a lot. I love my dad. And a lot of this just r- relates to my experience with my dad. But I remember the, when he passed the, so me and my two sisters and my stepmom and my stepsister have been all in the hospital room all night. The guy had told us anytime, you know, he was switched over to comfort care. It was, we can't do any surgery. Pretty much the medicine that's keeping him alive prevents us from doing surgery to keep him alive. And so it was uh, just a waiting game. And so we waited through the night. And I remember the next morning when he finally passed, I was relieved because I knew he was suffering. I'd accepted that it's, just, it's better for him to go be with the Lord. But I have a sister that's not a believer. Mm-hmm. And man, if you could have heard her wailing when he finally passed, and it's almost like she was angry at him for leaving her. And it was so hard because honestly, I think, I think the best thing we can do to prepare someone for grief and loss and hardship is correct their worldview so that they understand what's actually happening. So what happened was my, my sister that's distraught and dysfunctional right now, I actually went and took her two boys to go get breakfast because, well, somebody's got to feed these kids. So I told them to get breakfast, and I explained to them why people die. I told them about Adam and Eve in the garden, and I gave them a foundation that she's left to help process what's going on. And I think as much as people don't want to have doctrine and they don't want us to shove doctrine down their throat, good, solid theological doctrine is what gets us through the suffering of this world. Yeah. Poor response to hardship in the church is poor discipleship in the church. It's a discipleship issue. It's a it's a we've not prepared them to understand uh, how things work. So when someone comes to me and says, I just don't understand why everything's going 
so poorly in my life. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Why is the world so crazy? Well, then that's a discipleship issue where I should be able to say to him, well, the reason that's happening is because Jesus said the world would hate us because it hated him. Jesus promised us that there would be pain and suffering. Paul tells us that the world is groaning under the weight of sin and the curse of sin like a woman in childbirth. Like The scripture is there. There's a reason that it says all scripture is God-breathed. Right and profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and life and godliness. Like There's a reason the scripture exists, and it's not just for us to know the character of God. Part of it is for us to understand the weight of sin in the world in dichotomy with the character of God. Because once we grasp the holiness and the righteousness and the goodness of God and the evil and the depravity and the weight of sin of the world— we have to understand that we're somewhere in between where we're born in sin, but we're reborn in righteousness, and we're called to a different standard than what the world has. And in that standard, we have to wrestle through and fight through and respond and understand that, yeah, you know what? Like, I, I, have, I have a poor response to this because of my sin and my flesh and because I don't fully understand that God works all things together for good, even crappy situations. You know, uh, a story that comes to mind for me in Scripture is when Jesus wept when he heard Lazarus died, which is crazy to me because he knew he was going to bring him back to life, and he mm-hmm. still wept. Because whether or not the person lives or dies isn't what makes sadness. It's the fact that death exists at all yeah. is what's sad. And if people don't understand why death exists, so it, it, even fighting and squabbling within the church uh, and and, uh, divisions and arguments and different things that happen within the church, they all go back to the curse. Every bit of suffering and pain and struggle comes from the curse. And if people aren't taught the curse, I think this is why the enemy so adamantly wants to remove the first part of Genesis from the canon of Christianity. You can't really believe Adam and Eve were real. Well, if Adam and Eve aren't real, we don't need Jesus. Yeah. And we definitely desperately need Jesus. And so uh, I think that foundation is so important. No, that's all. I think it's just an interesting thought that Jesus was sad that Lazarus died, knowing that he was going to bring him back. Yeah. So maybe he wasn't sad that Lazarus was dead but that death itself carries that weight on on the world that Christ died to save or was going to die to save well and and I think what we can take we want to always look at Jesus as our example if we're going to follow Jesus and we need to do what Jesus did that means we cry and we feel emotions when people pass when things get difficult when um when there's pain, or when there's fighting, infighting within the, the body, when any of this is going on, we feel that pain. It's not like we shove our emotions aside, but yet we still continue to do our job based on what's right and what's true and what can't be unchanged, which is the Word of God, which stands forever. And so the Word of God says that we continue, so we continue. You know? Yeah, and I think we could talk about this all day but we're kind of at a point where we probably need to to wrap things up. Uh, and so 
maybe maybe we'll we'll revisit this topic at some point in the future and, and kind of dive deeper into maybe some of the hardship issues that don't revolve around death maybe the other hardship issues within the church i don't know i think our, our wheelhouse is dark and broody i don't know <laughs> we, we are dark and broody speaking of dark and broody let's do some recommendations that are not dark and broody so david what you got for a recommendation this week um i'd like to recommend i've actually never been there but i've talked to plenty of people that have been there and i've seen a lot of pictures and i've seen a lot of the resources that they put out but i want to recommend the creation museum and the ark we're actually looking at our church trying to plan a church-wide trip uh, for all ages uh, because I, we, we've just, we just recently did creation. Uh, next week I'm teaching the flood, and I think it would be a really awesome time. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of great resources and a lot of great uh, visual uh, Im- images and things that uh, can help uh, encourage and solidify your faith in the whole of Scripture. Yeah, I've never been there either, but it seems cool. Uh, I'm going to recommend Planning Center. If your church isn't using Planning Center and you serve in any uh, capacity, you should. It's not crazy expensive, uh, and it's multidimensional. And so uh, we use it with our worship team, and we use their services app, which allows us to uh, schedule folks in the band. uh, And, excuse me, just yawn. it lets us schedule folks in the band. It lets us put up uh, YouTube videos and tutorial videos and sheet music and all of that stuff within there. We also use it for our kids' ministry for check-ins, uh, which makes checking in our kids and making them safe within our kids' ministry super, super, super easy. Uh, they've also got giving programs, uh, and every single one of their service comes with what they call People, which is a, a um, people management software program that they have for you to keep track of your folks within your church so that's my recommendation planning center you should check it out all right david you want to send us away with our tagline second best still better than everyone (laughs) still better than the rest